0: www.archivos.digital. That's www.archivos.digital. Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Welcome to The Questions, episode 1034.
1: Today we have a juggling question from Nicole, who asks, How do you balance writing on a new project and revising another one? What are the different processes that you've tried?
0: Kitty, I think you should answer this, because I don't see me well enough to really know. I just kind of do what needs doing.
1: Yeah, that's actually kind of the way you you work but in your head fresh writing and revising are two different projects and two different brain spaces when you're revising you aren't rewriting you are looking through the project to see if the continuity makes sense to make sure that
0: i'm listening to the music for false notes is what i'm doing
1: yes you're doing that. And I'm uh,
0: and, and I should say when I'm and when I'm composing I'm listening to the music and transcribing as best I can. So revision for me is basically listening for transcription errors. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's it sounds really abstract but that's literally how it works. I I if I could read with my eyes closed I would because I'm literally listening to the sound and rhythm of the words.
1: And the revisions you do on res, in response to your first readers in response to your beta readers is looking at their comments and what was false notes for them and what was confusing for them and figuring out if I care, figuring out if you care and figuring out if you missed something that was obvious to you, but yeah, needs clarification for your readers or that you could have foreshadowed better or whatever, mm-hmm. but from my perspective, it seems like these are two very different tasks in your head, and you can do one and the other, not at literally the same time, but you can do both in one week.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in one day even. Um, so as far as balancing them, I really don't. I, I do what is in front of me. I have much more difficult time right now balancing building buildings and writing, because by the end of the day, building buildings, I'm tired enough that writing is very hard, so my output's been like... But the hot weather's only going to last so long, and uh, the nights will get longer here in a few weeks, and that'll be the time I think probably the writing picks up, unless I finish my uh, writing porch first. If I finish my writing porch first, then I will be writing during the heat of the day when I can't be uh, bucking logs or making tables or that kind of thing. But um, there's another sense in which most people don't think of revision as creative. They think of it as technical. And one of the reasons that I can swap between the two so quickly is that both, for me, are creative. It's, although it's the difference between listening to the music and correcting errors and transcribing the music de novo, in both cases I'm listening to the music. I'm just doing different things with what I hear. So, I don't get into very often the whole architecture thing. you know the plot architecture here is wrong. I need to tear it up. I need to swap things around. If I run into a um a place where the music just sounds wrong for a reason that's highly technical like that, I put it down and I go do something else. And I go do something else while my subconscious noodles on it, and then eventually my subconscious figures out, oh, well, the music sounds wrong because you just swapped two movements. Or, you know, the clarinets are playing the wrong line, or something like that. And so, at that point, I know what's wrong, I go back, I fix whatever's wrong, and then I jump back and I listen to the music again, and as long as the music plays well, I'm doing fine. So it's not a hugely different headspace. And when it beca- when it is in danger of throwing me into a different headspace, I just leave. I don't go into a different headspace. Because if I do, I know from my screenwriting days that it will get stilted and won't work. So the art of revision really is the art of continuing to write fresh in small ways that you might have missed when you were writing Fresh and Big Ways. Um, Now, a lot of writers, most of the writers I know, fall into one of two camps. They either don't revise at all except for typos and shit, or they they do the draft process. And the ones that do the draft process tend to be miserable. And the ones that don't revise at all um, tend to be very hit and miss, at least as an audience member that's my impression of their work. Um, When they hit they hit it out of the park and when they miss it's all false notes or there's a lot of false notes and it drives me crazy. Particularly because I've got a very finely tuned ear for the rhythms of language and imagery and all of that stuff. So um but the authors I know who revise Um, And I only know a couple of them personally. Most of them I know from history and from studying their processes. They all seem to do some version of what I'm doing. And the reason that all of them, literally, that I know of, can do this is that all of them have two (laughs) things in common. They're really into music, either as uh, musicians or as dancers or as connoisseurs, and I don't mean like they listen to a lot of music, I mean they're into music. They can tell you why the third movement of Rhapsody in Blue will bring you to tears. Um, They can tell you why you can predict the plot of the Ring Cycle without speaking German as long as you, or if you listen to the opening movement of the first play. They can tell you these kinds of things because they're into it on a really deep level they vibe to the music they don't just listen to it they don't even just immerse themselves in it they're really interested in the deep artistic experience and how and why it it's a spiritual experience they're e- uh, they they all have that going on and they've all done screenwriting or theater uh, I'm the same in both ways. And most of them also have religious backgrounds, which I do as well, but not all of them. But I think it's related. Here's why those th- those three things are related. They're all oriented towards bridging the gap between the artist and the audience. They, they have a basic orientation that says the art is created in the dialogue between the artist and the audience. And so their focus as creators has always been to deliver the experience to the audience, rather than to say what they want to say, and they have a sort of performance and rehearsal type of mindset for how to do that. So, if you've ever been in a play, for example, it's the the this, this is the one that most people have done. Like most people haven't played an instrument beyond like a few cl- band classes as a kid. Most people haven't sung in a choir, but most people either through church or Boy Scouts or um, or community theater, or drama classes. Most people have been in some kind of play, um, or been near enough to some kind of play to see how it works. So that's what I'm going with. If you've ever been in a play, you can think of all the technical things that go into it. The blocking, which is where you stand, and who you look at, and what your arms do when you're talking, and what your hands do when you're talking, so you're not milking the cosmic cow, which is what you call it when you don't know what to do with your hands, and so you start opening and closing your fists for no real reason. They call it milking the cosmic cow because it looks like you're milking a cow. In fact, you can see the rotoscope model for Gandalf in Ralph Bashy's Lord of the Rings did this a lot in the scene where Gandalf is telling Frodo how to, um, er, the history of the ring. You can see him milking the cosmic cow through the whole scene. It's fing hilarious. There's all these technical things that go in there's memorizing your lines, there's delivering them, there's hitting your marks, there's feeding your cues, there's the intonation. You could go crazy with all the details. And what you learn after your first couple rehearsals is that you're never going to get it right, so you just have to relax and play and trust that somewhere in you is a little kid that knows how to cut loose and have fun. That knows how to relax and pretend to do make-believe. And The beautiful performances all come out of that amazing liminal space that kids have when they're off playing war or doing, uh, or playing house or doing role play of any kind. They're just making stuff up and going with it. Um, That's what makes great improv so sublime. It's often funny, it's often silly, but sometimes... I've been in a couple improv shows, and once in an improv class I took, where the mood was really raucous in the room, and by the end of a two-minute scene, everyone in the room was sobbing, because the actors were willing to just play and follow where the scene led. It went to this incredibly tragic place. And it was gorgeous. But to do that, you have to listen to the music. You have to understand how, and in a non-technical way, in an in a ingrained-in-your-psyche type of way, you have to understand how these things work and the only how all these things affect the way your audience feels what your story's doing. Now, I've read one of your stories. I'm going to buy the story. I've already sent you the acceptance note. You've already read it. So you've got somewhere in your background, you've got the pieces to do this. And I can tell because I've read your story. You know how to bring the audience along. You know, you're you a young writer. You've got loads and loads, I'm sure, that you could learn. But that story was great. The trick to revising, to revising well, is that the revision is as much A performance as the draft, and that's it. That's really the trick. You have to stay in that liminal space in your head, whatever it takes to get you there. Because if you start second-guessing things, it becomes like trying to fix a minor error of lighting in a Rembrandt. You start making little bitty changes here and there just because it, it's just, just a little bit off. And you know it's not even just a little bit off. You, can, you just know you can make it a little bit better. You can make it a little bit better and you throw the whole piece out of balance. And you introduce false notes, not in the phrase of the music you're working on, so to speak, but by changing the progression of notes in that phrase, you change the harmonics five or six measures down, and so the call, the response, the echoes, and the progressions don't make sense anymore. And you can throw a whole piece out of balance. There was this wonderful, wonderful scene in the film Amadeus, where Salieri is looking at Mozart's manuscripts. They don't have any corrections on them. And he says in voiceover narration, if you were to remove a single note, the phrase would be diminished. If you were to remove a single phrase, the structure would fall. Every piece of your story, every word, every line, every rhythm that's set up in a paragraph, every image you use, all of that sets the reader's experience up for what comes next. And if you can't hear that music, you're better off not revising at all, other than to fix typos and and gross continuity errors. Because that music is what you're ultimately doing with the story. You're not getting a point across. You're creating a spiritual, for lack of a better term, you're creating a spiritual escapist experience for your audience. You're transporting them to a different world. You're showing them a different reality. You are conducting a drug trip. And you can't micromanage a drug trip. Because it's too complex. There's too much going on to rationally pull it apart and put it back together. You have to do it on instinct. that's the secret to revising well. All the theory you study... Is great because it will help train you to see those elements in others in in the stories you consume, which will in turn train you about how they work on the ear of your audience, but you can 't exactly go from reading a book on creative, on uh, emotional resonance a multi layered book on emotional resonance, which uh, David Farland has a great one about that. You can't go from reading that book to then going back and looking at your story and saying, Okay, I'm going to put in some resonance, so I will do X, Y, and Z. That's That may work sometimes, but it's not going to work really well most of the time. What you have to do instead is you read that book, you think about the techniques, you internalize them, you notice those techniques being used in other stories that you really, really love. And with all that in the back of your mind, you go to the keyboard and you... Close your eyes, and you listen to the chord that that theme plays on your emotions. And then with that chord in mind, you write, and your writing takes on the tune that's dictated by that chord. And that's how you do it. And that's the reason why a lot of you who have struggled with getting stories off the ground, whether you're really early on or whether you hit a skid or a slump, The reason is that when you're writing, you're not hearing the music. Um, You're trying to force the music out rather than listening to what's already there and transcribing it. Now, that's not to say the discipline of everyday writing is a problem. It's not. One of the things, one of the reasons that writing every day is so goddamn useful is by having to write every day, you wear down your own resistance. You wear down that part of you that's trying to micromanage everything, because if you keep trying to micromanage everything, you're not going to squeeze any blood from the stone. It's designed to exhaust you to the point where you have no choice but to listen to the music.
1: Where you get out of your own way, your where your inner sensor gets out of your way. Yeah,
0: and that's what it means when the inner sensor gets out of your own way. Exactly right.
1: So we we kind of went from project management to um, a philosophy of creativity, mm. which is um, kind of typical for the way our <laughs> brains work, especially yours. Mm. So bringing it back to um, project management. Okay. Uh, manage your projects no (laughs) be there in that in the story that you are working with whether you're writing it or revising it and don't let the story that you're revising affect the story that you're writing and vice versa that's what it is
0: yeah that's pretty much it yeah you said that a lot quicker than I did
1: (laughs) this is also
0: very typical yeah I think I'm going to promote you to to main host and I'll be (laughs) co-host thank you very much Nicole Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you. Dateline. The future. Humankind stretches out to the stars. Maybe they go on generation ships. Maybe they live on space stations. Maybe terraforming bases dominate the worlds of tomorrow. In these hostile places, only two things seem certain. With people come conflicts. And in manufactured environments, the wrong kind of conflict will damage your air supply. So forget regular guns, needle lasers, ray guns, and anything else that can screw up your habitat. I want stories where the violence and conflict depend on ingeniously adapting ancient weapons to future environments, where this technological shift solves old social problems and creates new ones, and where cultures and religions arise around those weapons and provide them contexts both accepted and outlawed within their societies. Give me swashbucklers, knife fighters, booby trappers, baton wielders, pirates, mafiosos, Robin Hoods, cops, priests, robbers, fugitives, and assassins. Give me swords in space. This is a paying market. Submit your story to editor at everydaynovelist.com. Be sure to use the phrase swords in space in the subject line. 8,000 words maximum, 2,000 words minimum. See you on the Slush Pile.